Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, uh, the next installment of Publications with Blue Marble Space Institute of Science. Uh, this is Mark Clare, uh, a co-founder of BMSIS, and today I'm going to be interviewing another co-founder, my friend uh, Jacob Hack Misra, who is uh, recently a co-author on a paper called Reduced Albedo on Early Mars Does Not Solve the Climate Paradox Under the Faint Young Sun. So uh, first of all, welcome to you, Jacob. Uh, thanks, Mark. Okay, so there's a um, this is a this is a big title here, and it sounds like I think uh, some background would be quite useful. Can you give us a uh, a brief uh, background of the climate paradox under the faint young sun? Well, of course. So the uh, the paradox comes from the fact that we expect, or rather, our models of uh, stellar evolution, how stars change over time. Our models suggest that the sun used to be a lot fainter than it is today, you know, maybe something like 20% or even 30% fainter, you know, a few billion years ago. And so there's less energy coming out from the sun, that's less energy that's able to warm a planet, say Earth, or in this case we're talking about Mars, but there's geologic evidence that on both Earth and Mars there was liquid water on the surface of those planets. So the paradox comes in because we expect the sun was less bright, less energy coming from the sun. And if you take the Earth today with, you know, our 20% oxygen, 70% nitrogen atmosphere with some greenhouse gases and big oceans and some continents, if you stuck that around the early sun when it was about 20% less bright, the Earth would be completely frozen over. And the same is true with Mars. If, if you took... Mars today, or if you took Earth today and put it at Mars orbit around a faint sun, this faint sun does not seem to allow a planet to support uh, a liquid water ocean. Unless, of course, there's something else going on in the planet. Maybe there's more greenhouse effect. Maybe there's, you know, the planet's more or less reflective. Maybe there's some other things going on. So that's the, what we're trying to explore. But the basic paradox is how do you explain warm conditions when the sun was actually cooler. Okay, that sounds very interesting. And just to clarify, this is this is billions of years ago we're talking about. This right? is billions of, like, on the order of about three billion years ago. Wow, very cool. Um, okay, so the uh, the title has this big negative in there: reduced albedo does not solve. Does that imply that somebody has published a paper claiming that it does solve, and you are uh, going against that claim? Um, almost, but not quite. So the paper that was published is um, solving the faint young sun paradox for the early Earth um, using reduced albedo. Now, albedo is maybe a technical term. Reflectivity is, is maybe mm -hmm. a, a, a less jargony way to define it. The idea of this paper that someone else published was maybe the early Earth had less continental area. The oceans might have been a little bigger, and maybe there was less uh, clouds. Maybe there were in order to form clouds, you need like a little particle, like a smoke particle or a dust particle or in the sky for the uh, cloud droplets to condense around. We call that a cloud condensation nuclei. And uh, maybe there was less of those, perhaps because there was less biology. So that's this idea that less clouds combined with, uh, you know, maybe a, a bigger ocean might have made the early Earth less reflective. And if it's less ah. reflective, then it absorbs more sunlight and it would have been able to stay warmer. So this idea may work for the early Earth. I'm, I think the jury's still out in the science community. I don't think they've completely uh, discounted the idea, but it's neither wholly accepted either. 
But in any case, we said, like, well, first, let's take, we have a climate model, and we can talk about that in a second, but we said, let's first see if this, uh, this solution works in our climate model for early Earth, um, which it actually does, and then we oh, said, let's geez. extend this to early Mars, and so the negative in the title is we said, like, even under the most optimistic conditions, this solution of that Mars might have been less reflective, it just doesn't seem to work. So even though maybe this is a solution for the early Earth, our paper is saying it's really not a solution for early Mars under any circumstances. I see. So would you say that the state of the art of climate modeling is that it is uh, right now not possible to keep uh, an ocean on early Mars? So that is correct. The state of the art in the field is that uh, there's really no well-accepted way to provide warm conditions on early Mars. There's maybe some hints as to how we might produce those warm conditions. Um, a lot of the climate models, and a climate model being a computer representation of the climate, uh, a lot of these are simpler than real life, and any model is it's a model, so it's going to make some simplifying assumptions. Um, but maybe what we're really neglecting is you know, we're not treating the three-dimensional aspect of cloud cover very well, or maybe the three-dimensional aspect of how winds blow around a planet, you know, north, south, east, and west, and up and down. Um, so maybe we need more complex, what we call general circulation models, that can actually represent um, more of the physical processes going on in a planet, or at least the, the winds and clouds, which might be important. Um, there's a little bit of work going on in this. It's actually a really hard problem because mostly people are interested in studying present-day Earth, and, and for good reason. That, that's, you know, we're interested in predicting the weather, predicting the climate, and that's a very, uh, the most pressing application. Early Mars was very different, and so you need a different model for that type of calculation. Um, so there's suggestions as to maybe a more complicated model might help, um, maybe different concentrations of greenhouse gases um, might provide extra warming, although that hasn't really panned out yet. So it's a mystery still, and this paper just really highlights the fact that, you know, the mystery deepens. Yeah, that, that, that's quite interesting, because it, it sounds like, and I don't know if this is true, but it sounds to me like you your model does not, cannot uh, warm early Mars, but yet you think that there are there's enough shortcomings in your model results that it's not a definitive statement? Um, yes, that's right. So there's geologic evidence that we haven't been able to rule out yet. So we keep coming back to, it looks like there was a, an ocean, you know, at least on the northern hemisphere of Mars uh, three billion years ago. How, um, how confident, how confident are, are we that that is the case? Um, I mean, I guess there's always room for error in interpretation, and there are uh, camps of scientists who believe that maybe, rather than liquid water, this was, you know, maybe an ocean of liquid carbon dioxide, um, and, you know, these are possible. None of us were around three billion years ago to really mm. observe this. Uh, my understanding is that the, um, the evidence from the Martian rovers um, tends toward suggesting that it was actually water. And maybe it was water with a freezing point depressed. There might have been, you know, sulfuric acid dissolved in it or salts or some other things. And maybe that helped it uh, stay liquid at a colder temperature than the freezing point of water. So there's, there could be lots of geochemical things going on that we don't understand. Um, but I think the evidence is 
suggesting toward the fact that this was a water ocean in some form. Although, I, of course, I can't say that's a hundred percent conclusive. Of course, that's very interesting. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of, you know, essentially pr proving a negative result, and I, I am curious at to, at to what point, you know, would, would there would we be able to develop confidence in our climate models enough to be able to say, hey, you know, we've tried this for fifty years, and it is not possible uh, to, to warm early Mars. Yeah, I mean, and that's a that's one of the challenges in modeling is it's hard to it's hard to gauge when your model is correct, and it's also sometimes hard to gauge when you're incorrect. Um, I think probably the the simplest way, or or at least a robust way, to address that uncertainty is just to use a lot of different models, and that's why you need different groups of people working on these problems. Um, ideally, with you know, completely different models. A lot of these climate models actually have, you know, derived from the same source. One person writes a model, they pass it out to their colleagues, their colleagues change it, and, and really you have variations on the same parent model. So what you really need is different models that maybe take different physics into account or written a different way. Um, and when those models start to agree, then that gives you confidence that maybe you are, you know, hitting upon some real physical processes. And then, of course, where the models disagree, then you say, okay, we need to really get into the nuts and bolts and figure out why we disagree. Absolutely. And, and as I'm sure well known, there certainly is uh, always disagreement among even modern climate models as to, uh, to the extent of, of warming of a, given, of a given factor. That's right. Let me ask a, a different question that might, might be interesting to some of the listeners. Um, I see three authors on this paper. You are the second. Can you give us a, a, a brief insight into how a collaborative effort like this comes together among three people and who did what? Of course, of course. So uh, Alberto Afarian was the uh, instigator of this project. And um, shortly after this paper came out suggesting reduced albedo might be a solution for early Earth, um, Alberto emailed me and he said, hey, you've seen this paper, I'm sure. What do you think about this for Mars? And we sort of had a conversation over email. And even before we ran the calculations, we sort of figured out this is probably not going to work, but it's still interesting. And, you know, both of us had got questions about this in general, like what if early Mars was less, you know, reflective? And um, so we thought it was, you know, a marginally useful contribution to make. Um, Alberto is a geochemist by training, and um, I had worked on him on one paper before where he, you know, led the project and really understood the geochemistry of early Mars, and, and he's really the one who understands the evidence for water oceans on Mars. So, yeah, he led the project, and he started, you know, framing the writing. Um, my contribution is this uh, climate model, so it's an energy-balanced climate model that uh, represents sort of the latitude bands on a planet calculates temperature and then the extent of, of uh, ice caps on a planet. Um, so that was my contribution, was to work with Alberto to you know, develop the model to be applicable to our particular problem. I ran the calculations and made the plots, uh, and then the two of us interpreted it and then put the paper together based on that. Uh, and then Chris McKay was really an advisory role. Um, I think Alberto had done some work um, with Chris McKay as an advisor, and um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Chris on this. I think Alberto had more more to do with Chris on that. Um, and so, really, that's that's kind of how it came together. Ah, well, thank you. Very nice. And, and congratulations on this very nice study that is uh, recently published in uh, Astronomy and Astrophysics and is available 
uh, online on the uh, Blue Marble Space Institute of Science website, bmsis.org slash publications. Thanks again, Jacob, for telling us about it. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thank you.